hey, I just finished reading First Enoch, and I really want to talk about it. So do you want to have that conversation? Dude, why are you always coming with this weird stuff? It's not in the Bible for a reason. Just get out of here. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Wait, Chris. Do you start with all right? Sometimes. Okay. Welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm your Luke. So we are laughing because we've recorded this intro a couple of times already and questioned how we should start it and how it was started. The best one was when the ambulances were coming through. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, but we're just starting off because we're celebrating. Yeah. Woo. Three years of podcasting. That's really why I wanted to come in laughing. I was like, I need to sound happy about this. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, we were talking about it before we started recording. I was like, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to start off talking about three years of podcasting celebration. Yeah. It is hard because a lot of times I actually am really happy and I just yeah. feel like my, my voice betrays me. No, I, I'm in the same boat. There's like a few areas where like I'm genuinely like that excitement comes out of me. It's not a lot in life. Like we were talking earlier and you kind of shared some really good information with me. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh, okay. But inside there's like this fourth of july firework explosion going on it just doesn't it never comes out right that's why you got the tough and tender award yeah i did i did it's an <laughs> award i i love but uh we are celebrating three years of podcasting uh it's a big achievement big achievement uh but one i'm just really glad that we're doing together it's been fun we've talking about it before the show and, and i remember the first day i came up to you with the idea of podcasting and and i just remember uh sitting there because i've always wanted to do a podcast uh, I just didn't know about what. And then one day I was like, oh, I could do church stuff. I know a lot about that. Um, and then we were in like a life group together at the time. And we didn't know each other really as well as we do now. Um, but just hearing the the depth you had behind what you were saying or what I've learned now is just the confidence in how you say things that make you sound like you're really smart, but really. Shh. <laughs> you're exposing the guy behind the, what was it from the Wizard of Oz? Yeah, the guy. Behind, but I was like, man, he would be a good counterbalance to me. Uh, and so I, I went up to you, I think it was in the belong room at our church. And I said, hey, let's do a podcast. And you're like, yes, I've been wanting to do that too. And that was the, like, there was a year of like talking through how are we going to do this, getting equipment. Uh, and then one year later we started, but it was, yeah, I remember that, that whole YouTube yeah. get up and yeah, trying to get oh, things going. Awful. Yeah. I hated that. We've but learned a lot. We have. Both we have. in how to do the thing and actually doing the thing. Yeah. So th I, I just remember that. And now three years later, it's just been super cool. Actually four years later since the initial conversation, but, um, this has been cool. We, we've got to talk to some of the people that we never thought we would. Uh, we've brought on people that have just been super fun to have on the people that we knew. And we've gotten into the Bible probably deeper than I ever imagined. And we're still scratching the surface. And we're barely scratching the surface. So we're not even in the Bible right now. Right. Yeah, we're not. So for <laughs> everyone listening, uh, you could enjoy part two of the Enoch parable section. I don't know what chapters we're in. I've, I'm lost in the parables of where we're at right now, but enjoy part two. Uh, chapter 50, uh, we have, and in those days, again, in those days, reminding us, this is judgment. Uh, a change will take place from the holy and chosen ones, and the light of days will abide on them, and the glory and honor will turn to the holy on the day of affliction, on which evil will have been treasured up against the sinners. This is kind of an interesting concept of this treasured up uh, evil. I know like we store up treasures in heaven. Mm -hmm. I never 
kind of flipped it, flipped it exactly. Uh, but then doing through study, um, thanks to Michael Heiser and his book, uh, he had like three scriptures just readily available. So you got Job where it says, God stored up their iniquities for their mm-hmm. children. That is their children of the wicked. Um, in Hosea thirteen twelve, the iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. And then Romans, so now New Testament, 2, 5. Uh, so this is Paul. But because of your hand, your hand and in pure heart, uh, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So um, it's there. There's, here's this concept of it. Yeah, with this one, as you brought out, in those days, right, a change is going to take place. Really looking at what's the timeline here? As mm-hmm. I've read through it several times, it's like still probably trying to figure out some stuff. So you can give me your wisdom. But right, so he's saying, on those days, on the day of affliction, evil has been treasured up like you were talking about, but the righteous shall be victorious in the name of the Lord's Spirit. Mm-hmm. And he's going to cause other people to see this victory that they may repent and forego the work of their hands. So we're looking at there's still time to repent for what's happening here. So there's a change taking place that light is going to come on the holy ones. The holy ones are going to win over the sinners. And because of that victory, people are going to repent. But then it goes on to say an interesting thing. They shall have no honor through the name of the Lord of Spirits, yet through his name they shall be saved. So there's not an honor, but they're still going to be saved. The Lord of Spirits will have compassion on them, and his compassion is great. That makes sense. And then it comes in, he is righteous also in his judgment, in the presence of his glory, unrighteousness also shall not maintain itself. At his judgment, the unrepentant shall perish before him. So it's like he's causing this thing, there's time to repent. But then here it comes into, he is going to judge, and whoever doesn't repent, he's going to judge rightly. And this is where I brought up the thing of annihilationism earlier, because it does kind of come up a couple times, maybe how you understand it. It says, at his judgment, the unrepentant shall perish before him. And from henceforth, I will have no mercy on them, says the Lord of Spirits. Kind of looking at that thing of perishing. Mm-hmm. You know, what does it mean to perish? Yeah. Um, but looking, again, just the timeline of this. In those days, a change is going to take place. And this change causes people to come towards repentance. And there's still time for repentance. But then we're, that's leading towards a time where there is no time for repentance. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, is that change that's taking place for the holy and elect something that's happening here on earth for those that are alive mm-hmm. here on earth? Like, I don't know what could happen for th- those who have already died for this change to take place. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I got this nice long quote uh, that kind of helped me with that too. So I, I would look at this as like, it's that in that day, day of the Lord, big D, little D combination time frame here mm-hmm. where it's two and one, uh, but the Nickelberg and Vanderkam, uh, so two guys who have studied Enoch and have really good books on them, that others are Gentiles. So they say, uh, given the reference to the righteous and their oppressors in verses one and two, the others mentioned in the section must be either the Gentiles not included among the oppressors of the righteous or the other Israelites not included among the righteous, the holy and the chosen one. Verse 2d, the works of their hands seems to refer to idols, especially with the verb abandoned uh, being there. Then you can see also they put like C91.9 and it's reference to idols and worships, which we'll get to, uh, given up to uh, God. Thus, this section appears to be another reference to the repentance slash conversion of the Gentiles 
attested also in 1021, um, 90, 30, 38, 91, 9, 91, 14. All humankind is the reference there. Thus, in a way that the author does not explain, God will reveal the victory of the righteous over their oppressors, and this, in turn, will lead, uh, lead others among the Gentiles to repent and receive the honor in the Lord's presence that has been granted to their righteousness. So that's the way they, they summarize that whole thing you were talking about. Right, but even there, saying that, like, oh, that others being the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. To me, this marks, and again, one of those things that I feel like this was written before Jesus, or it's a thing looking back at how to describe it, mm-hmm. but the thing that changed for the holy and elect, the holy and elect were the Israelites. What changed for them that would cause the others, if they were the Gentiles or the nations, to repent? Right? Yeah. It is the cross. It is yeah, the yeah, resurrection. Yeah, yeah. It's the Holy Spirit coming down. It's the new covenant happening. Mm-hmm. So it's just like looking at this, that's how I was understanding that. Because we're looking at this big eschatological thing. I'm like, how can there be time to repent if this is the final judgment? Mm-hmm. So it really seems like, no, the first couple verses here is talking about the thing that changed is Jesus coming in. Mm-hmm. And then going from that, hey, if you didn't repent after that point, then yeah, you're, the judgment yeah. is going to come in on you. Yeah, that's why I said, it's, it, to me, it's like a both mm-hmm. in the time frame in that. 51? Yes. So another thing, very familiar New Testament type language. Uh, in those days shall the earth also give back that which has been entrusted to it. Sheol give back that which it has received. Hell shall give back that which it owes. For in those days the elect one shall arise, and he shall choose the righteous and the holy from among them. For the day has drawn nigh that they should be saved. Um, so yeah, this is the, the resurrection mm-hmm. of the dead. Yeah. And judgment coming from that spot. Yeah, it describes the realm of the dead and those. So when we look at the book of the Watchers, we, we, and e- even in this, we got like the the realm of the dead and those who dwell there, uh, and the bodily resurrection wasn't really discussed in the book of Watchers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here in 51, it, yeah, it says Sheol, the grave, and Hades, uh, the earth is also used as a translation of underworld, so maybe that will give, um, give them back up, the rising of the dead, like you're saying, yeah. Looking at this, when I read, for the day has drawn nigh that they should be saved, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about, like, are you saved? Mm-hmm. Biblical language, not even just Enoch, looks generally towards a being saved and a future salvation, mm-hmm. right? So much of it is, like, looking forward to being saved. And when I look throughout Scripture, this is the kind of thing that I, I see it pointing towards is, like, because what are we ultimately being saved from? Because as far as I can tell, I'm going to die at least once, right? Mm -hmm. So my body's going to die. I'm not being saved from that. I'm being saved at the judgment, you know? Yeah. This is the part where just like, that's where the salvation takes place because that's where at those times it says that he'll choose the righteous and holy from among them. And this is them being saved, right? So all of us are looking forward to a resurrection from the dead. I think that again, that's not a commonly taught thing. When we look at like, oh, what happens after you die? And what does salvation look like? Mm -hmm. I'm going to heaven. It's like, no, no, no. All of it's looking at a bodily resurrection. So just like, and then at that bodily resurrection, here's what you're wanting. You're wanting to be found holy and Mm -hmm. righteous and to be, you know, selected there. And that's your salvation taking point there. So it's definitely the thing of where it talks about that the Holy Spirit being put down like a, a pledge on your life is that we receive the Holy Spirit now. And that's taking place now so that when we get to that point, it's a fulfillment. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, it's so that's where I get like, oh no, I'm saved, and just like you could look at it that way. Uh, a lot of times too, it's like I, I we ask the question of like, what are you saved from? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we paint the best picture in church today of what we're saved from. Uh, a lot of times, I mean, depending on what gospel you're listening to, the prosperity and others, it's you're saved from bad things happening to you, and you're going to live a prosperity with God on this time while you're alive here, and nothing but his richness and goodness, and you name it and proclaim it, and it's going to come upon you, will be what you have. And then, yeah, even when we talk about it in some of the better ways of, like, you're saved from hell, we don't fully give the, like, but what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So as you're bringing it together, like, we're saved. And then I I liked how you put the mark of, like, the Holy Spirit coming upon you. It was like, that's how God separates his people at the end. It's like, they are marked by me. Um, And you see that in Revelation, right? Like, the mark of the beast may not necessarily mean, like, actual numbers on their head, but, like, because it was on their hand, and the the hand is what you grab for. It could be their hand or their head. And then the head is what, what your thoughts are on. So if your hands are grabbing after the world and your thoughts are on the world, you've accepted that. That lifestyle, that's what you want. Um, and that's where you're getting separated, right? There's these two markers, one that's marked with the Holy Spirit. And even in Revelation, it's a play on what I want to say is one of the five books, first five books of the Bible, where they're talking about the word. It might be Deuteronomy, where it's like, you will write God's word on your hands. And Are you going to bind it to your hands and to your forehead? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's playing on that. But like, it, there's this separation, and then we're saved from death and Hades and hell and the judgment, right? The the final judgment of separation from Christ. And yeah, Enoch is kind of even putting that into play here, that this is what that is. There's this separation that people, uh, you'll be saved from this, and the unrighteous are, you know, you're not. So even looking at that, as far as the receiving of the Holy Spirit being the mark, let's make some different denominations, Matt. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny. Receiving the Holy Spirit being the mark doesn't mean that you can know that you receive the Holy Spirit because you're speaking in tongues. Yeah. So you're going, well, I'm speaking in tongues according to what me and others say that that is. So I have the Holy Spirit. So come that day of judgment, mm-hmm. I know that I'll be saved because this is my evidence of receiving the Holy Spirit. Like, that's not the marker of it. And saying, well, I received the Holy Spirit because, well, God just told me that he'd do it. So when I told him I'm a sinner and that I wanted to be forgiven, he gave me the Holy Spirit. I didn't didn't even have to ask him for it. Are you saying when I said a prayer that that's when I received that that may not be the case? It may not be. It, It could be. How do you know that you've received the Holy Spirit? And how come... In scripture, it talks about test yourself and see that you're in the faith. And mm-hmm. over and over again, it talks about persevering, right? Which once saved, always saved, we've kind of touched on it and we can, that's not for now. But looking at this thing of like, yes, we've been given the Holy Spirit as a pledge, but what are the marks that you actually have received the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. And I think that it gets pulled out, not just here in Enoch, but throughout scripture, is that he shall choose the righteous and the holy from among them. You cannot receive the Holy Spirit without becoming righteous yeah. and holy. You, you just can't. So it's just like, how do you even test yourself to see that you're in the faith and that you have the Spirit? Are you walking in righteousness? 
Have you been separated out? Are you holy unto God? Right? Not to get into the thing of like, are you absolutely perfect in mm-hmm. all ways? But like, as a path of your life, are you now righteous and holy? Because that's the pledge that got put in you that started working in you. And he is faithful that started the work is going to finish the work. And this is the finished work, mm-hmm. right? That we're looking at here. So just to really look at, man, don't be deceived that like, Whatever it is that happened, whenever that day was, whether it was a month ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, it's just like, so I should be good. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, no, no. The future salvation. Don't be like, well, I said a thing and someone told me something however long ago, so I'm, I'm good. Test yourself. Is the Holy Spirit in you? Is the Holy Spirit working? Have you grieved the Holy Spirit and quenched the Holy Spirit to a point that you don't even know anymore? In which case, it's just like, you need to get that straight now. Not just think, well, somebody told me I'll have him, so I'll be good at judgment. It's like, no, 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 no. Take this super seriously because we don't know when, again, our time for repentance will go away. Yeah. So again, this is where I read these things. It's just like, I can't help but pull out what it's actually mm-hmm. meaning there. Um, so yeah, that's just there as far as like how he's separating. And that's where you get, again, the, the goats and the sheep is that because the Holy Spirit in you is going to make you like one of the sheep. Right, mm-hmm. you're going to do those righteous actions. Not that you're saved from those things or by those things, but that because of God's spirit in you, that's how it's easy to make that distinction there. The one thing I did want to pull from 51 though, um, is uh Vanderkim and Nicholsburg again, they make interesting parallels between uh the phrases that are found in Daniel 12, 1 to 3, with first Enoch 51. Uh, so in Daniel 12, you have Michael arises. In 51, you have the chosen one arises. Uh, in Daniel 12, there's time of trouble. Um, in 51, it's presumed from the previous context that there's times of trouble. Uh, in Daniel 12, your people will be saved. Uh, 51, righteous and holy will be saved. Uh, the book in Daniel 12, uh, the scroll that we mentioned in chapter 47, uh, resurrection, and that's in both of them. Uh, in Daniel 12, it's long life in Jerusalem. In First Enoch 51, it's life on a renewed earth. Uh, there's condemnation for the wicked in both. Everlasting life in Jerusalem, um, earth, and then there's righteous, or the righteous will dwell on the earth. That's First Enoch. And then the righteous will shine like the stars, and then the angels are radiant in Enoch. So First Enoch 51. So there's, they, they looked at it and said, hey, here's Daniel 12. Mm-hmm. Here's this. They kind of mesh. I always find that stuff interesting in, in this because to me, it, it highlights that this book, the author of this was pulling from the source that we pull from. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And talking about pulling and Daniel, there's kind of more in 52. I'll just give a mm-hmm. quick 52. So 52, there's this vision that he's having and he sees the secret things of heaven, which is basically you've got these different mountains You've got mountain of iron, of copper, of silver, of gold, of soft metal, and of lead. And he's saying, basically, ask the angel again. So we're getting that thing of having the vision, mm-hmm. asking the angel, getting the answer. And it happens again and again. So what are these things I've seen in secret? He said to me, all that you've seen are the dominion of his anointed, that they may be potent and mighty on the earth. And wait a little, and this shall be revealed to you, all these things which surround the Lord of Spirits. And then it goes on to say that these mountains are basically just going to melt away before mm-hmm. the elect one. They're going to like wax before the fire, right? They're just going to melt down like the water which streams down from above, right? They're just going to melt away and they shall be powerless before his feet. Again, looking at mountains generally being uh, 
kingdoms of Empires, powers. Yeah. And when you're looking at these um, medals, again, looking at uh, Daniel, there's all kinds of different medals that get brought up in that vision that's of the... Um, Nebuchadnezzar's. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar's. Chapter 2. Yeah. So you've got that. Uh, but then I think that it's interesting that beyond just looking at those metals corresponding to a certain empire, right? Like, oh, the gold, that's mm-hmm. you, Nebuchadnezzar. And like, it goes on from there. It brings into Enoch. It says, it shall come to pass in those days that none shall be saved, either by gold or silver, none able to escape. There shall be no iron for war, and none shall be able to clothe themselves with breastplates. So bronze shall be of no service. So even looking at like what men do with these metals, mm-hmm. like none of that's going to matter. Like none of the works of your hands, whether it's like riches or war or any of the things that men can do and build up, like before the elect one, none of that stands. Mm-hmm. Like what are you going to build with your hands? Like of, that's of any use. It literally says like tin is of no service. Like it's not esteemed. Nothing's desired. And these things shall be denied and destroyed from the surface of the earth when the elect one appears before the face of the Lord's spirits. So again, is it talking about all the metals are going to go away? No, no, it's like the works that are being done with those things. It's, it's done with. Yeah, Heiser has uh, some fun, interesting stuff with all this, like the copper and everything. Again, he makes the parallel between Daniel 2 and kind of saying like, oh, if this is from Daniel 2, then uh, what we have here is um, empires, like you are saying, and kingdoms, right? So, um, but that silver and gold part that Heiser put it this way, he said that the nations will not escape judgment by bribery or mm-hmm. tribute. Uh, their wealth will be no protection anymore. Right. So the elect one on his throne is not like any of these earthly rulers who are who getting judged. Who are bribing, yeah. Um, so you can't bribe your way into heaven. You can't be like, well, I got this, God. And God's like, no, but you didn't do the thing. So you've got the juxtaposition of that and the previous one that we were just talking about, like, no, it's the righteous and the mm-hmm. holy. That's who gets pulled out. It's not any of your earthly power, your wealth, or any of those things that are happening. I do want to bring up that earlier in the last um, episode, we were talking about that there's the seven mountains that are seen. Mm -hmm. This only has six mountains. And when I was looking at that in some of my study, it's talking about that the seventh mountain is God's mountain. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So yeah, when you're talking about those seven mountains, it's that the seventh mountain is God's. Mountain. Yeah, because isn't that part of the dream, even in Daniel, that mm-hmm. like something falls from this the rock that's not rock hewn by human yeah, hands, yeah, and it crushes the thing. And I, I think we talked about it in the Nebuchadnezzar episode, where like usually that would create a crater. Uh, that rock created a mountain, and that that was God's kingdom, the, mm-hmm. the final kingdom. And a lot of times uh, in ancient cultures, mountains were where the gods dwelled, right? So. Ours, we have Mount Zion, but uh, Mount Olympus right. and whatever the other Wherever ones are. Else, yeah. yeah, that they are. But this is the mountain of God. Yeah. So that, that was 52. Uh, 53. Go for it. Uh, so 53 is kind of interesting. Uh, so I'm going to read some of the stuff that I got from it. Um, uh, this valley that it's talking about. So it talks about like a valley that uh, he now sees. This is from Heiser's commentary on it. It says, uh, the valley is is in one of the descriptions of a final battle preceding the last judgment. And you can see that in Joel 3, 2 and 12, the battle of Armageddon, the cosmic geographical perceptive uh, that seems to be in play here accords well with the true meaning of Armageddon, described as a Hebrew phrase in Revelation 16, 16. Uh, The location of the battle is not Megiddo, uh, but Jerusalem. So, um, here he's taking kind of what he's seeing as the, I guess, Heiser's looking at it as the Battle of Armageddon, um, but not being a place 
that most of us have come to understand as Megiddo. And, and if you ever listen to his stuff on Revelation, he is so against uh, Megiddo being Armageddon. And it's like, no, even if you look at the imagery and what it's describing, it can't be this Megiddo place. It is Jerusalem. Um, so I, I just found that part interesting in there. And then I, I know we have some of the stuff about uh, preparing all the instruments of Satan. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's pretty cool. They said that this could be um, like the, the angels of destruction in verse 3 might be Satan's, plural, kind of what we were talking about last time. Right. Um, adversaries. Yeah, adversaries. And then the instruments here are most likely the chains that we saw in, uh, or that we will see in Enoch 54, uh, by which the wicked are bound in the underworld. So those are some of the stuff that I had from that one. Yeah, kind of when you're talking about those things that are being made, um, those instruments of Satan, I thought back to like Azazel coming mm-hmm. and bringing and, and teaching the warfare and all those things, right? Because then it says, and who are they preparing it for? And he said to me, they are prepared for the kings and the mighty of the earth that they may be destroyed. So yeah, you're looking at that battle that you're talking about. But here you have these instruments being made, talking about the battle that's going on. And then further down, that's where you have, and I know that you're talking about that. I'm just breaking it apart a little bit. But there's a deep valley burning with fire, and they brought the kings and the mighty and began to cast them into this deep valley. And there my eyes saw how they made these instruments iron change of immeasurable weight. And I asked the angel of peace who went with me, for who are these chains being prepared? And he said, these are being prepared for the host of Azazel. So they may take them and cast them into the abyss of complete condemnation, and they shall cover their jaws with rough stones as a lord of spirits has commanded. Um, really paralleling end of Revelation where there's mm-hmm. the lake of fire. Right, that the lake of fire is for what we're seeing here is for Azazel and his host, and then those that followed after. Mm-hmm. And again, just the distinctions of how and where judgment is happening and who it's for and, and what's going on. Um, yeah, this is definitely a, a especially horrific and special judgment that's happening here. Yeah, and it parallels uh, what we see in Enoch 8.10 and chapter 54. They kind of mm-hmm. mesh where it's like, Azazel and Azazel, the chains binding, mm-hmm. uh, jagged rocks, sharp and jagged rocks in there, covered him, them, it covered him. Uh, the incineration and flames, which is in here, uh, a great day, the great day of judgment in chapter 10, and then teaching, leading people astray, and that's in there. So like, yeah, there, 54 does pull from uh, chapters 8 and 10 a lot. I guess it's kind of the reiteration of the punishment of Azazel and what's happening, but maybe this one's more of the like, eschatological mm-hmm. version of it. Did we talk about it a bit before about Azazel? as the interesting thing here about um, prepared for the host of Azazel. Mm-hmm. Right, so the host of Azazel is who this is being prepared for. And then it says there that the uh, taking vengeance on them for their unrighteousness and becoming subject to Satan. So they're host of Azazel mm-hmm. and they're subject to Satan. So again, just really looking at that Azazel being the Satan figure. I really get that a lot from Enoch which yeah. then I can't help but carry over as we were talking last time about the goat for Azazel mm-hmm. and sin being put back on him and just all of those things. Like I, I have not done in-depth study enough to be like, is Azazel the Satan figure? Like, you know, what yeah. is that? Um, but it seems to definitely talk about it here. And I know that we can get around it. We're just saying, well, Satan is the adversary. So yes, he's an adversary, but it's like how closely are those things truly linked? Mm-hmm. I said that I haven't done it yet because, man, there's so many different things to study in the Bible 
Yeah. And I think that even people who are listening for all of the details that we go over here is just like, these things can be interesting. And I, I might bring up rabbit trails that I will never follow because is it that pertinent to me right now for me to understand? Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And just even as people are hearing us and ha- having different questions like, hey, if there's something that you want to study, go after it. But there's a, I tend to walk away with more questions than answers sometimes. Yeah. I go, going, I'm going to study this. And I get like 10 more questions like, okay. I might be able to pursue some of that, but there's a lot. Yeah. Uh, Heiser has some interesting stuff on kind of what we're talking about. Uh, he said, uh, Enoch 53.3, so he's going backwards, suggests that the angels of punishment work in the service of Satan, but there is no evidence that those angels were the offending pre-flood watchers who transgressed. Uh, here, that connection is more transparent, particularly in view of the clear parallels to the Watcher's Rebellion in First Enoch 8-10, through 10, like I already said. If Azazel is perceived as the leader, this line in 54-6 could be read as identifying Azazel with Satan, uh, i.e. subject to Satan equals subject to Azazel. Mm-hmm. Uh, though possible, this is not a necessary reading. Nevertheless, it is clear that for certain Second Temple Jewish writers, Azazel was a Satan figure, Uh, Perhaps most compelling is the destiny of Azazel, the flames. It would seem that 1 Enoch 54, 3-7 is part of that backdrop of the New Testament teaching that hellfire was for the devil and his angels, Matthew 25, 41, and not presented with any clarity in the Old Testament. Yeah, there's Heiser. Oh, is that in Matthew? I I think I said Revelation. Yeah. Okay. Also, that's everything that I just said. Why does it? Why do you care more that Michael Heiser said it? Yeah. That's literally what I said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just said it clear. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, he, it's just putting all of these pieces together that like uh, we have all this stuff in there. And then 54:7 has uh, the chambers of the heavens open and the the fountains which are beneath the earth. Uh, so this is the flood. This is Enoch describing the flood kind of going over the watchers. Right. So fifty four seven, you're taking a break coming into Noah stuff happening. Yeah, like yeah. this starts getting into more of like the flood story and this and that. Um, and I, I believe it's this part where it talks about the waters of chambers above and chambers below, like as male and female. Uh, that might be verse eight. Um, but it's just basically kind of like the picture is like them joining together yeah it is again a weird detail says and the water shall be joined with the waters that which is above the heavens is the masculine and Mm -hmm. the water which is beneath the earth is feminine so like that's not just like a language thing it's directly saying that it's that yeah and and i guess for me the the way uh i got the picture maybe was i guess this is like a warning of children are in the room cover their ears like almost maybe i'm taking this out of context but like sex like the joining together of them like coming together but I totally could be taking that out of context. It just, it made sense in my head that like the, the metaphor for this joining identifies them as male and female. Yeah, I was, I was thinking that as well. But then what is the purpose of the joining of male and female is to create something new. Yeah. Right. So yeah. when you're looking at the flood, like, yes, it's coming in and it's wiping out everything. But, it created but it's also new. creating something yeah. new, which is a really interesting thing when you look at noah and the flood and what comes from there it's really marked as being a new creation Mm -hmm. there's a whole bunch of cool calendaring stuff as far as like the first day of creation the first day from where noah is and the months and all the stuff and how all that takes place like there's a lot that goes into after the flood there it being more of a recreation a new creation type of thing so that's where i can see the the male and the female coming together it's like yes through this (laughs) 
I don't know about other males and females coming together. I don't think it's destructive, <laughs> but you know, it is mm-hmm. wiping out. But what you're getting here is more of that creating something new. Yeah. Uh, 55 uh, kind of describes God's almost like regret for what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the term uh, regret means sorrowful regret. Then we kind of see the picture of this going to Genesis 6. Uh, but in this instance, uh, the regret was before the flood, not after. So God regretted the creation of humanity because of the evil and the corruption on earth. And uh, the idea is that uh, God knows his own anger has yielded too much disastrous results. And then 55, uh, I thought was really interesting because it says, I will set a sign in the heavens. And anyone reading Enoch 55 Mm-hmm. we'll see the flood story again from 54 kind of carrying on the sign of heavens we're like thinking uh the rainbow right after the flood like that's what happens um I, I read something and this was really interesting to me because we call it the rainbow but i read somewhere where it was just the bow um like just like like a bow and arrow mm-hmm. uh so yeah so it's kind of the thing of god taking vengeance so he has his weapon yeah which yeah. is the bow mm-hmm. so the thing that he had pointed down to you know wipe out mankind mm-hmm. he's saying i'm not going to do that so he hangs up his bow yeah so he puts he's saying yeah i'm not going to come at you like that anymore yeah um i've looked at that you know definitely i think some of the bible project guys might have brought that up there, it goes around i don't know enough about ancient cultures and like no that's how they write mm-hmm. and understand these things for me it's like okay cool might have been it's a way of looking at it but i think that the underlying thing is just god saying hey this thing means i won't do that anymore yeah yeah. Uh, just to kind of go with it a little bit more, I've got this quote from Victor Hamilton. Uh, he says, a common motif in the ancient Near Eastern iconography is that of a bow-wielding deity. Uh, but here it's more of a, like, a divine power that the bow ceases to function as a symbol of combat and now a symbol of peace and well-being. And its placement in the clouds points to the uh, God's hostilities against mankind no longer happening. Uh, so... That, that was kind of cool to me. We've always talked about like this parallel between the gods mm-hmm. and God. And as where theirs is like this yielding weapon, um, he's, like you said, he set his weapon down and no longer is it a weapon of power. I, I really like that it stopped uh, functioning as combat and now is a symbol of peace because that, that, that was what it was given to us for. Yeah. 56 and 57. Yeah. So 56, final judgment of Azazel, the watchers and their children. Um. So again, if we look at the Genesis story, I feel like it's so limited. There's like, and the sons of God came in, there was giants, everyone was doing wrong, so I wiped them out, the mm-hmm. end, right? And here we just went through a flood situation that we get here in Enoch, but then it goes on to say that uh, when I desire to take hold of them by the hand of the angels on the day of tribulation and pain, because of this, I will cause my chastisement and my wrath to abide upon them, says God, the Lord of Spirits. You mighty kings who dwell on the earth, you shall have to behold my elect one, how he sits on the throne of glory and judges Azazel, all his associates and all his hosts in the name of the Lord of Spirits. And I saw there the hosts of the angels of punishment going, and they held scourges and chains of iron and bronze. And I asked the angel of peace who went with me, saying, To whom are these who hold the scourges going? And he said to me, To their elect and beloved ones, that they may cast them into the chasm of the abyss and the valley. And the valley shall be filled with their elect and beloved, and the days of their lives shall be at an end, and the days of their leading astray shall not thenceforth be reckoned. So just really looking at there of kind of going back to earlier in Enoch, when they're like, hey, Enoch, can you go see if we can like get off the hook for this one? Mm -hmm. And Enoch is like, nah, that's not happening. 
And we can just see how much in this that God's saying, my wrath is abiding upon them. Mm -hmm. And just from this, it gives me that different view of, again, what God created the earth for, what God created mankind for, even what he created these watchers and these angels for, and that the wickedness and the evil that came from the watchers that came down to men was just like unforgivable. Like God was just so full of wrath towards that because like that was such a level of corruption that came in. Um, I know we kind of talked about that before, but just mm-hmm. like, no, there's no forgiveness. Like they are getting put down, their lives shall be at an end. Like there is no mercy there. And that's where I started that, started off talking that about the Genesis situation is because we can get a view maybe from Genesis that's just like, yeah, just look at sinful men. And we can really forget the supernatural world and any of the things that were happening in the supernatural world and just like, yeah, look at the hearts of men. Men are just that wicked. Mm-hmm. And what I get here is like, yeah, men went along with the wickedness and that was going on. But like really, it's on the spiritual side of things that yeah. things really got screwed up, those other forces that are coming in. Um, I got the, when it's the Parthians and the Medes, mm-hmm. that that whole section there just kind of helps with when they think it was written. It's kind of uh, a lot of people parallel this section with the Maccabean time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the lions, hungry wolves here that kind of will take us into the animal apocalypse and 83 through 90, which is going to be fun. Um, I didn't know there was a term called animal apocalypse until I read this. Sounds like a cool band yeah, name. Yeah, right? <laughs> the animal apocalypse. <laughs> Playing live, uh, the animal apocalypse. Um, but yeah, there's just some parallels to the, the wolf and the lion representing Egyptians and Babylonians. Um, they're uh, really the biggest enemies of Israel through most of their time. The two uh, that are predators to them and Israel being more of like the flock, the sheep. Uh, so that's in there. And then 58 or 56, 8, uh, Sheol shall devour the sinners in the presence of the elect. Uh, the elect are the Jews and Judeans or occupants of Jerusalem. Sheol, the underworld here is personified, similar to personifications uh, occur in the Old Testament in Isaiah and Habakkuk. When we see the who's it for, it says chosen and beloved one, you instinctually put it as the watchers and the Nephilim, the giants. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get that the first time I read that. Oh, I was like, wait, because the chosen ones are always like, right. and the beloved are God's people. Um, but it's like to their chosen and beloved ones, like the, it was the, like you were saying, yeah, the watchers and their children. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get that connection the first time. So when you said it, and then I looked at some of my notes more thoroughly, it was right there. And I was like, oh, that's why. Yeah, it's not all those righteous ones getting tossed into yeah, the valley. I was like, this doesn't make sense for a second. Yeah, so that that's all I've got for that. Uh, 57, uh, I don't have much on that. It's a small little chapter. I just like the way it ends with verse 3, and they will all fall down and worship the Lord of Spirits, and this is the end of the second allegory. And to me, they, this line is, uh, it really kind of summarizes what you see in the day of the Lord, mm-hmm. is that at the end of it all, we all fall down and worship him. You know, there's a lot of that imagery that you see from Revelation, that the falling down and the worshiping. Um, and so, so that was really like the big thing uh, that stood out to me the most was that I just really pulled on to that because I was like, this is cool. This is the end of the second allegory. This is the end of uh, what be, would be Day of the Lord punishment. And what the end result of all of it is, is that all fall down and worship, worship God.
57 as a title for mine is the return from the dispersion. Mm. And when you look in that dispersion, right? So it's like um, being in exile and being dispersed and being oppressed mm-hmm. and all those things happening. So it's like you have all of this happening with the judgment and those that are coming in, there's just hosts of wagons and men riding them. So it's just like the gathering of everybody back and they're all worshiping. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, such a cool thing. Like, again, just to put, look out of yeah, this this world is like a war-torn world full of corruption, full of all these things where the blood of the righteous are being spilled and all of this stuff and the righteous are scattered and there's, you know, all of this happening throughout the earth. And then you get this thing of this whole parable is just about judgment and God coming in and judging the wicked and to where I kept saying, and there'll be no more mm-hmm. and that they're getting cut off and they're getting put in this place and they're getting chained on that. But then you always had that pointed towards, so this is what it means for the righteous. So as when you get to the end of this parable, that's all about the wicked being judged. It's like, what does that mean? It's like all of the righteous and the holy are like coming back together. And that's where, you know, you, know, you get Jesus saying that the earth is going to belong to the meek. Mm-hmm. And you get these kinds of things and just, again, just the different ways that it gets pulled in of, I think I've mentioned this several times, like I struggle because whenever I know that there's like a wicked person or whatever, my hope is just like, oh man, I hope that they repent. Like I don't want anybody to get punished. I don't think I'm more loving or whatever than God because scripture also says that like he doesn't desire that anyone perish, but also he will do what's right, you know? So I struggle and it's like, ah, man, wicked being punished. Like I wish that could have been different for them. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, God does too, but they've chose this, you know? Mm -hmm. Like that's the thing when looking at this of just even the thing of punishment is like, they've chose this. It's not like, oh, what? There's a God? I did What? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that's not how this works out. Yeah, it's not going to blindly or like something you weren't aware of yeah. that's happening to you. Like it, This is the high-handed fist towards God. You're no. consciously making it. I, yeah. I think we talked about it in the last episode, too, that the, that was one of the things that really struck me or it came to life when I, uh, reading this section was the fact that like even in punishment, they're still going to refuse. They're still going to deny. They mm-hmm. still don't want it. Like, who was it, Rob Bell, who wrote the book Love Wins? Mm-hmm. And it was like, no, God gives more opportunities in hell and people will repent and turn and come back. And it was like, that's theologically missing some connections there. Uh, but this Enoch presents it more of like, they're there because they rejected God and they're going to continue to reject God. There's no like part of them that are like, no, 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 now I'm sorry. It's going to be the anger is going to turn into more anger and more bitterness and resentment towards him, almost feral-like, where it was just the hardening of the heart kept getting there, callousing, callousing to the point where it was like, yeah, it led to, well, yeah, ultimately death. Um, uh, And even seeing the way, uh, kind of wrapping everything up for me in these two parables combined of this judgment parable, uh, the one thing that always hits me when you're talking about, like, this is the fate of people— and the day of the Lord, this is the day of the Lord. A lot of times, like, you know, because we understand the day of the Lord, like Jesus' second coming is the day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many people today who are out there looking at the world and everything that's happening and saying, I just can't wait for Jesus to come back. And, and I think I've talked about this before with other stuff. And to me, um, yes, I can't wait. For me, I think it's different than other people. There are some people out there who are like, I can't wait because there's, too much corruption. All these people are evil and they need to get what they deserve. And God, you need to rescue me and pull me out of this corrupt evilness that I see in this world. 
and this group of people deserve the punishment that they're going to get, and that group of people deserves the punishment they're going to get. They haven't read Jonah. Yeah. It's such an ugly way of approaching the day of the Lord. When I read this punishment, these chains that were so heavy and giant that bound people and threw them into these places where they were angry and full of punishment, um, to me, that doesn't make me think you're getting what you deserve. To me, it always puts a place in my heart of, I need to do more. I need to reach people more. I need to go out there and be the light, right? Like that, that was the story of Jesus was the light to the Gentiles. Now we are the light to the Gentiles and to everyone around us, the nations. Um, this shouldn't be like a, they're getting a, what they deserve, hurrah type thing, victory. Um, it should be like, I guess the victory for myself would be, I'm now in the presence of God in eternity, in the new heaven and earth type situation. Uh, but I shouldn't gloat over people who chose the other way in a sense. You know, it's just, it just, it pushes my heart to not go that route. Like, I don't want Jesus to come back. I'm, I like the long, compassionate, long-suffering uh, Christ who's like, hey, I'm waiting, and you don't want me to return today because there's other people. Like, there are so many people whose lives will be changed tomorrow for Christ, but if he came today, then they don't get that opportunity. Uh, th- that's the way I look at it. And, and these visual, like you were saying, very visual images thrown in our faces of what punishment in hell look like. Uh, they don't put me in a place where I'm like, come Jesus and give them what they deserve type thing. Yeah, and I think to add on to that, coming from this, especially several chapters that were just put, like the righteous will be vindicated mm-hmm. and living righteous and living holy, like that's what matters, right? It's not any of the medals, not any of the whatever. So just like to set your life right, understanding that, hey, this judgment is going to happen and here's how this is going to look. It's like, that is the most important thing that any of us are facing. Like, I don't think that there is anything. No, it's not that I don't. I know there is nothing more important for any human being than what's described here. Mm-hmm. Is the judgment, right? To stand before God and to go throughout for the books to be opened as mm-hmm. we were talking about. There's, no, there's nothing more important. And to read through something like this, and as we've said so many times, it's drawing on so many different places of Scripture. You don't need to get into First Enoch to get this. But when it's just put so in your face of, this is what's important, because if I look at the world, I can look at, well, why do the rich keep getting richer, and they're oppressing, and they're doing, and they're whatever, and I don't want to put myself at risk. And like all of these things can happen if you just look here at the earth. But going through this parable really just helps align, like, this is the important thing. And even if my blood gets shed for the sake of what you were just talking about, mm-hmm. then that's a worthy cause. Yeah. The only thing that I have to fear, I mean, Jesus said it, right? Don't fear the one that can kill your body, but fear the one that can take your soul and your mm-hmm. body, right? So it's just like, that's the, the fear that I have. Everything else from this point is just like rescue mission. Yeah. What, what you were talking. I think that I'm naive. I'm optimistically naive because I think that I don't truly understand evil. Like when we're looking at, what can be in the hearts of men, Mm -hmm. I think I don't truly understand evil. I want to be like, no, it's not that bad. It's not that serious. not whatever. And like, you know, I think that's where different theologies will talk about, like the general grace of God that's kind of keeping some of that stuff at bay. But if you're to just see it for what it is and, you know, what's truly there to where you're saying, I don't want to gloat over it. I think that at the judgment where that stuff is removed, as you know, several theologians over the centuries have talked about, is that when you see evil for what it is, 
that you will say, yes, God did right in judging that, Mm -hmm. you know, but I'm, I think I'm just naive that I'm just like, no, there's not that to that extent. It's like the, the removal of evil is like, yes, praise the victory. Mm -hmm. But it's that spiritual being. And I, and I, I believe it was the, the father's podcast where they talked about sin being more of a spiritual entity Mm -hmm. than, uh, something that I just do. And that spiritual entity of evil, like if we personify evil as a thing, like as an actual being, like here, um, and even like it said that Hades is personified or given, or Sheol is given personification, and that's even in the Old Testament that it happens, that these spiritual beings have just washed over these people and corrupted them so much, like the watchers Mm -hmm. and the people that that happened to them. Um, Yes, evil destroyed good but those people who fell into the consequences of it who just couldn't get themselves out of there uh, I think that's where my heart finds a little more compassion in it and that's what I'm saying between like in my I'm saying naive in my hopeful wishful thing whatever it is that what you just described is like a these people are victims Mm -hmm. which to an extent like yeah, yeah but it's also removing any responsibility and any of the realness of like no there are just mm-hmm. evil people. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, they, they fell into it. And that's just how they, like, it. Mm, I don't think that that's fully it. Like, you know, I've, the part of me was like, dang, that's a human being and like whatever happened there. But like, I think, again, this is where I'm naive. It's just like, I don't understand that in the dark places in the world that we currently live in. And we get things like popping through the surface every once in a while with like different things that are happening with children and mm-hmm. with this and with that and whatever. And just like, that's just what makes it to the surface. There are very, 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 very evil people. And it's not just like that, oh, the Illuminati. It's just like, nah, these are people that are just around. Yeah, yeah. And just like, I don't know how to reconcile that. But I'm not the judge. All that I'm tasked to is like, go in and bring the gospel. Yeah. And not to assume beforehand, like, no, you're too wicked for this. Mm-hmm. So I, on my hand, it's just like, I don't need to understand any of those things. But yeah, when it comes to just like the judgment and evil and wicked and just like that being the good thing. And I think that it even talks about like, it seems to be like, yes, the people being judged in their evilness is like good. Yeah, I think what I'm really trying to say is that for me, this judgment presses the importance of the task. Yeah. And for me, that makes the task more important Mm -hmm. than the judgment coming. I want to do the task completely every day with my life as long as I still have that opportunity to bring more of those people back over. And yeah, they could be the worst of the worst, but they could come over. Uh, I'm not the one who who determines who's right, coming right. and who's not. I just go out and do the task, do the job. And I guess that's what, what I was really trying to say. That's why to me, it's not like a, a victory. It would be like, I didn't and, and this is my earthly mind thinking yeah, of this. Yeah. Like, once we're in presence of God, that mind changes. My earthly mind is saying, oh, I miss some people. Dang it, I didn't get that person with me. And that sucks. That's what I'm saying. My, yeah. my naiveness is like, I missed it. Yeah, yeah. Not knowing that, like, no, that person never would. But yeah, I don't know what to do that. Overall, I think that anybody who's listened to this point, thank you. <laughs> like, honestly, you just went, that was a lot Um yeah, it was a lot of content. And mm-hmm. even in that, like we tried to read different things and bring in different stuff. It was just like, there's a lot because it's like an entire book to go and read. We're giving an overview. We're giving some insights. It's whatever. We're giving um, a little more than an overview, but yeah, we're, we're getting in there. Yeah, you could read it quicker than that. So yeah, it's not just an overview. 
um i don't know i guess i'm just recognizing that was a lot yeah it's a lot i mean these, these books have a lot because we're trying to pull uh, when you're looking at uh enoch and even as we went through the didache uh, that was a lot easier because the didache just matched up with the new testament so perfectly uh, but enoch is looked at as like the one that causes people more conflict i guess and this is the one that's like people will argue with if should it be in the bible shouldn't it be in the bible type things uh, and we'll get to more of that in the conclusion down the road, but the, it it has a lot of meat in it once you get into it. But it's also trying to point that meat back to the right places. Uh, that here, this is where this is pulling from. This is where that's pulling from. So it's not just something that uh, some author during the Second Temple just made up, or during the time whenever it was written. Maybe even there after the life of Christ, maybe they saw Jesus and were like, "I see this. I'm going to go right." I also know First Enoch. I'm pulling these two things together and seeing the big picture. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot that we're trying to bring into play here. That being said, I'm not going to add any more to it in a lot. Let's not. I am Chris. I'm Yurdu. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. Ha <laughs> ha, the dude here. You ever have those gnarly visions and dreams that leave you scratching your head, wondering if they're straight from the big guy upstairs? Well, hang loose, bro. The Heavenly Hearing Aids got your back with the Rad Vision and Dreams Edition. Just slap the hearing aid in your ear, dial in the God frequency, and hit up Gabriel's assistance. Boom! Suddenly those trippy visions and dreams become crystal clear, straight from the man upstairs and his heavenly crew. Imagine shredding in your dreams, catching waves of end-time vibes, Spotting a mega tree or seven towering mountains, witnessing epic angel battles, or even crushing through heavenly portals. When you wake up, the heavenly hearing aid would drop the knowledge bomb, giving you the lowdown on what those dreams and visions really mean. No more guessing, my dudes. And check this out, bro. It's not just about heavenly stuff. The heavenly hearing aid will also let you know if it's legit from God or just a funky side effect from those late night chili cheese fries. Say goodbye to confusion, my dude, and let the heavenly hearing aid be your ultimate guide. Don't sleep on this, bro. Grab your very own heavenly hearing aid from all rad retail spots out there. The heavenly hearing aid, helping you hear what's up in the heavens and getting you stoked on what the man upstairs is saying to you.